His name is Drew Robinson. On April 16th, 2020, he shot himself through his right temple and he lived. It's an amazing story of God's grace and Drew knowing now after this experience that his life has purpose. Drew, whom I met last week, says now he only has one eye, but he sees things more clearly than he ever has before. Drew was our special guest at a fundraiser that we had last weekend for the City Impact Center. He thanked me for the wonderful impact our church is having on this community. And I told him, Drew, you, you know, you, you can't have an impact without a collision. And he loved that statement and he asked if he could begin to use that quote, could he quote me? And the irony didn't strike me until later, it was my dear friend, Donnie Moore, who made that statement. My collision happened in 2008. We knew we were going to have to close our great school, preschool through high school here on this campus. And, and I knew that I was gonna be the scapegoat. Not sure, you know, we watched it. We knew what was happening. The town was growing so big on every side. Bishop Gorman was right down the street. Faith Lutheran was less than a mile and a half away. And yeah, we went out and we looked into the suburbs. Should we move the church so we can keep our school, so we can keep doing what we've been known for, what we've been doing for 30 years? Or was God speaking to us to do something different? Friends, I'm, I'm gonna be as honest as I can be. It was the hardest thing I've ever gone through in ministry, closing down that school. But that adversity that we went through as a church body became the seed for even a greater benefit. It led us to opening up the City Impact Center. Our oldest daughter, Brandy, has always had a heart for the underprivileged. She began to reach out to the inner city children and started the work in an alley not far from here where just the week before someone had been shot. She took food and clothes and she brought the good news of Jesus Christ to about 70 children and all of those children gave their hearts to Jesus. We had just closed the school so all of a sudden we are facility rich and trying to decide if we should sell all of our buildings south of our back parking lot and just be a church. I told Brandy to just, honey, bring, bring all those children into what used to be our high school gymnasium and that's how the City Impact Center began. And since we launched the Impact Center here on our church campus, we have ministered to over 200,000 people. 
And today we're still doing that through an after-school program for inner city children. Our food bank, our, our food pantry that feeds thousands of people. We have an urban garden. The children call it the farm because they've never been out of a three-mile radius in their lives. We have a charter school for 360 students. We have a night school where those parents and others can get their high school equivalency and English as a second language. We have our beautiful, wonderful, low-income senior housing unit, which is the number one need in Las Vegas. We have jobs training, jobs placement. We have a ministry on our campus called Free International, which goes out to try and find the children that are on our milk cartons who are trapped in sex trafficking. And this year alone, they found 46 of the 64 kids that they went looking for. In the past, we've had access, and we still do have access, not on the campus now, but off campus to classes that the homeless can take to help them get back on track. Again, in the past, we've had Opportunity Village here with us, special needs teenagers learning on-the-job training and life skills, and we hope to get them back on the campus soon. We have a medical clinic, and just joining us now, a mental health clinic. We have a free preschool under the uh, government program called Head Start, which by the way, every one of us helped pay for. It's in the top portion of taxes. So thank you, whether you meant to or not. You are helping us to help mostly single mommies who drop off their little three-year-olds or two or three. They can only be a part of it for three years because we're hoping to help them get on their feet and get a job. And uh, we're watching their children during that time. We have a diaper bank for needy families. And let me tell you something, our diaper ministry is exploding. Come on, that was pretty good. We have 12-step programs for those that are battling addiction. We have in the past, and hopefully we'll do it again, we've renovated some houses here in our community, uh, one at a time. What's fun is the Teen Challenge guys come in and clean up the initial mess, and then one of our Trinity High School graduates has his own construction company, and he comes in and he does the construction on the inside and all the things that need to be uh, redone to make that house presentable and worth selling. And then we have a group of ladies here in town that are former escorts that have come to know Jesus. And they come in after all of that and they get the house ready to show. And it's an amazing thing that God has been doing. Very soon we're about to have an adult daycare center where we will not change diapers, but we will allow 
adults in our community to come together and have some great fellowship. We have many other ventures in the hopper, including housing for young people who at 18 have aged out of foster care. We have a dream to one day build a hospital like the one in Calcutta, India, where those on the top floor of that hospital pay top dollar for special care. They get a bell to ring, so they always have service. Somebody comes running when they ring the bell, but they pay top dollar for that kind of special care. And then they pay so much that on the lowest floor, the poor can come for free. What motivated this was a vision that the Lord gave me, but also my own daughter, my youngest daughter, had a bladder infection one day. She went to UMC emergency room care and didn't even, they didn't even keep her overnight. And the next day she got a bill for $10,000. That has to stop. That's ridiculous. That's out of control. In our hospital, she would have gotten a bill for whatever the medicine cost and maybe $10 more. I'm telling all my friends in town, be careful how you treat me. I'm going to pick which floor you're going to be on in my hospital. <laughs> we are hoping and praying that this abortion clinic behind the church will be the maternity ward in our hospital. <laughs> I haven't even estimated yet what that's going to cost because we don't have the money. But we serve a great God. He owns all the cattle on all the hills. He owns the hills too. We keep praying, Lord, sell some of your cattle and give us the money. And we'll use it for your honor and for your glory. I want us right now to look into our Lord's greatest impact and the collision that he orchestrated to make that impact happen. Please stand with me as we go to God's word this morning. I want to read for you the passage. I'm reading the New Living Translation. John chapter 12, 12 through 19. The next day, the news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem swept through the city. A large crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches and went down the road to meet him. They shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hail to the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and rode on it, fulfilling the prophecy, the 600-year-old prophecy that said, don't be afraid, people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming. Riding on a donkey's colt. His disciples didn't understand at the time that this was a fulfillment of prophecy, but after Jesus entered into his glory, they remembered what happened and realized that these things had been written about him. Many in the crowd had seen Jesus call Lazarus from the tomb, raising him from the dead, and they told everyone about that. That was the reason so many of the Jewish people who were in Jerusalem for the Passover came flooding out of the city to meet Jesus 
and to see Lazarus. That was the reason so many went out to meet him because they had heard about this miraculous sign. Then the Pharisees said to each other, there's nothing we can do. Look, the whole world has gone out after him. Father, we pray that the whole world will go after you hard. And Lord, you have begun something in Las Vegas that we believe is going to touch the entire world. Thank you for allowing every one of us here today to be at the epicenter of what God is about to do. And Lord, we thank you and give you all the glory and the honor and the praise in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. amen. God bless you as you're seated. Pastor Jimmy, are you in the house? Where are you? Pastor Jimmy, I guess he's doing some, some work for the kingdom of God. There he is. Come here. I just want to thank you. Uh, this man single-handedly made sure there were over 100 men at that conference yesterday. Yeah, thank you for that. I'd say you were, I'd say you were number one. You were the number one guy to get guys there. You did it through our church and the men's groups and the team challenge. And uh, you just hustled, man. I'm grateful for you. Give me some of that right here. <laughs> Beautiful. Point number one of today's message, his impact, Jesus, his impact is continuous. If you had have been here with us at Trinity for any length of time, you know that Palm Sunday was four days before Passover when Jesus lived here on the earth. That was the day that all the Jewish people would go out and choose their lamb that was going to be part of their Passover that they would eventually end up eating. And so this particular year in the first century, I've read where there were some 257,000 lambs that were slain. And isn't it amazing that out of all the animals in the world, there's, one, there's only one animal that just stands there still and silent before their little lives are taken. And it's a lamb. It's a sheep. And that sheep represents Christ. That lamb represents Jesus Christ. Pigs squeal horribly when it's their time for their lives to be taken. I saw a sign the other day and it said, I've decided to start growing my own food, but I just can't find any bacon seeds. Now, on this very Sunday, as God was choosing Jesus as the once and for all Passover lamb, Jesus was choosing to make a real impact on that day. But he couldn't do that without a collision. The Sanhedrin had already uh, had a meeting to discuss killing Jesus. And, 
And then they added Lazarus to that because to them it seemed they had no other alternative. Jesus was ruining everything. They were gonna lose their way of life. They were gonna lose their temple. The high priest prophesied that it would be better for one man to die for the whole nation. And that's exactly what happened. Jesus died for the whole nation of Israel. And not only them, but for every other person in the world who has ever lived. Now, this is alluded to in, in John chapter 12. We didn't quite get there to read it, but there were some Greek men that came to one of the disciples named Philip, and he said, sir, we would see Jesus. Now, Jesus, we all know, he came first to the Jews. And then the rest of us get in on this marvelous plan, implicated by the fact that he was willing to meet with these Greek Gentiles who were from the region of Bethsaida. That's where Philip was from. And that's why they came to Philip. And Philip, what did he do? He went to Andrew, and the two of them went to Jesus. And it's obvious to me that these Greek inquirers went right along with them to Jesus. Because it makes sense that these Gentiles were the ones that Jesus was speaking to about being that kernel of wheat that dies and goes into the ground. And I believe that they are the very group that clearly heard the voice of the Father while others only heard a sound like thunder. Friends, I want you to know even today, it's not that God is silent, it's just that we aren't listening. At the beginning of his ministry, the father spoke and said, this is my beloved son in whom is my total delight. And then when Jesus is nearing the end of his ministry, he comes off the Mount of Transfiguration and the father says, this is my beloved son, listen to him. And as we explored a few weeks ago, the implausible became reality when we were told in John 17 that the Father loves us the way he loves his beloved Son. And if you want the Father's total delight to be in you, then start listening to the Son and begin immediately to obey the voice of the Holy Spirit. And that's how you're going to know that you're his beloved Son. Every man in this room has struggled at one time or another to know, am I really the beloved son of the most high God? Does he really love me? Does he really know me? Does he really care about me? I'm here to tell you this morning, he really does. Ladies, he really loves you. You are his beloved daughter. Jesus had just come from Jericho where he met with Zacchaeus and he healed blind Bartimaeus and the crowds were beginning to swell and uh, uh, they followed Jesus from Jericho through the valley of the shadow of death between Jericho and Jerusalem. It's the place where the 
Good Samaritan story happened. There's lots of little nooks and crannies on that road. It's in a kind of like in a, a, a ravine. And they followed Jesus to the house of Lazarus. And they were there when Lazarus was raised from the dead. Now, this was causing huge problems. Jesus was looking to make an impact. But he couldn't have done it without a collision. And so the Sadducees, who were part of the Sanhedrin, see, they didn't believe in resurrection after life. These guys were having real problems with Jesus because now there's someone standing there as living proof to what they believed was absolutely wrong. And here's a great question today. Would you be willing to change your belief system if what you believed was proven to be wrong? Some people are so stubborn. They're just, no, no, I know, I know you proved it wrong, but I, I still believe what I believe. Really? Man. As Jesus comes riding into Jerusalem, the people that were there for the Passover came pouring out from the city because they not only wanted to see Jesus, the miracle worker, but they really wanted to see Lazarus who had just been raised from the dead. So this is where the collision happens, folks. There's a large group of people coming with Jesus over the, from Bethany up on top of the Mount of Olives and walking down on their way as he's on that little donkey and they're, they're behind him. And this was the people from uh, Galilee and, and Jericho and Lazarus' house in Bethany and they're walking behind him. But there's another group flooding towards them from the city of Jerusalem and what happens? There's this huge collision. They converge on Jesus and the folks from the city lay out their garments like a red carpet for the arrival of the king in Jerusalem. And they're waving palm branches. And it's just a glorious moment, which leads me to point number two of today's message. His impact was confrontational. What Jesus was preparing, ladies and gentlemen, on this day was a public confrontation. His hour had come. Remember when he told his mom, mom, it's not my hour. She kind of pushed things along. Well, this was his hour. This was a planned demonstration by Jesus. It was a public presentation that enraged the religious leaders who wanted to kill him. But this wasn't on their timetable. There were too many people in Jerusalem to kill him now. How many of you know we don't live by our timetables because God always has his timing in place. And this was the hour. This was the day. Jesus had been waiting for this day from eternity past. And because of the triumphal entry, he was pushing the hand of the Sanhedrin that they were going to have to act now. Isn't it amazing how God is absolutely in charge of everything? So I don't know why we worry so much. I guess it's because we're like sheep and we just get to that place. Oh, you 
know. We're like fish out of water. We're flopping around because we don't belong in time. We're people that have eternity in our hearts. We belong in eternity. And the day you move from this life in time to that life in eternity, it's going to be like, oh, like a fish getting back in water. This is where I belong. This is what I was made for. My mother, my dad, my older brother, all of those 300 people we've buried since I've been here in 32 years, all of them now in the presence of the Lord. And when we all get there, whether through the rapture of the church or when um, uh, we go by way of the grave, your loved one is going to turn around because they haven't been in time. They're in eternity, and they're going to turn around and go, oh, there you are. I've been looking for you. For them, it's been three seconds. For us, it's been 30 years. But friends, I'm telling you that God is in charge of everything. He knew exactly, precisely what was going to be orchestrated to happen when Jesus prepared this big collision, ready to make an impact. Now, I want you to think about your life right now. Think about those collisions. You ever been in a wreck, in a collision? I think I've been in, I don't know, four or five. The first one, I was on a bus. We were going Christmas caroling with my church. I was about 11 years old. And this drunk driver came to, we were right at the fork in the road. We were coming off the fork this way. He's coming this way. He got confused, didn't know which way to go, turned right into our bus. That was a collision. And it made an impact on the side of my head because I was sitting in that front row and I, bam, I, my head just, it hit that bar. And Jesus and the, and the father, they're just, preparing for this day and, and everything. The, the people in the crowd are excited. And, and uh, my understanding is that they were saying all the right things, but I don't think they understood what they meant. Because friends, things aren't always the way that they seem. They, yes, were shouting Hosanna to the king, but Hosanna really means save us now. I'm of the persuasion that they truly wanted him to be their Messiah, but for them, it was all within the context of overthrowing the Roman government. Kings who are preparing to conquer, preparing for war, friends, they arrive on a stallion, a white one, a horse, a big one, and it's very threatening. They come riding in, and Jesus arrives on a, not just a donkey, but a baby donkey. Because he's the king of peace. You have no idea how hard I prayed that that baby donkey we brought in today wouldn't do his business in the house of God. Thank you, Jesus. But friends, there were Roman soldiers all throughout this crowd. This crowd was huge. They estimate that there were 2.6 million people in Jerusalem that day by how many little lambs had to be slain. I mean, this crowd's huge. This was a big deal. But the Roman soldiers did not, not even one of them reported a threat back to Rome because why? Because Jesus, the king, came in peace. 
He came in peace that day. How many of you know that even in your life, things are not always as they seem and people are not always the way they present themselves? The triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem is one of the few events in our master's life that is recorded in all four of the gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the synoptic gospels because uh, they say similar things and they had the same view of this event in the life of Jesus. They viewed the triumphal entry as a complete event, an end in itself, but John had a different view. John is the only one that brings in the different facet of the fact that this was a transitional event for Jesus between the resurrection of Lazarus and the resurrection of Jesus. John's gospel is the only gospel to record the resurrection of Lazarus. John's version doesn't contradict the other versions, but John abbreviates this event because he knows that the other gospels have already covered this event fully. And the story that we're reading today began, did you hear the first words I read from the scriptures today in verse 12? The next day. On the next day. So the first question that should come to every one of us is, the next day from what? Well, just the day before, Jesus was anointed with myrrh by Mary, the sister of Lazarus. He was anointed for his burial. They live in Bethany. It's about, it's a few miles up beyond the Mount of Olives. And it should be noticed that John spends as many verses on the anointing uh, that Mary gave him as he does on the triumphal entry. Why? Because both the anointing and the triumphal entry bring the death of Jesus Christ into greater focus. Mary anoints the feet of Jesus with myrrh. She wipes his feet with her hair. Evil Judas rebukes her because he was desiring the money from that ointment so he could put it in the coffers and steal some of it because it was worth a year's wages. And Mary just extravagantly pours that out on the feet of Jesus. It was probably her dowry. And Jesus steps up and he, in verse seven, he rebukes Judas. He says, leave her alone. She did this to prepare me for my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me with you. Now that's an ominous statement followed by the explanation that a great crowd had come not only to see Jesus, but to see Lazarus because Jesus had just raised him from the dead. That'd be cool, wouldn't it? Let's go see a guy who was dead and now he's alive. Let's talk to him. What was it like? That must have been so amazing. And you know, friends, I've said this all my life, ever since I was a little boy, and I want to say it to you again today. I will follow the man who has conquered death. That's the guy I want to follow. And that man is Jesus Christ. The crowds are not what they seemed on that day because this crowd was fickle. Most crowds are. Very curious, 
They came out of curiosity. They were spectators. They were there to see Jesus perform another miracle. They were like adoring fans as they're crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. A little over a hundred years before this event, between the Testaments, there was a, a group of people called the Maccabeans. It was actually a family, the Maccabean family. One of the sons was named Judas, Judas Maccabeus, the leader of the Maccabean revolt after his father Matthias died. Matthias started it. These guys were the ones more than likely who invented guerrilla warfare because they had a small group of warriors going up against a huge group that was attacking them. So they, they would hide and they would come out on sneak attacks and for years, they were winning the battle. They were fighting for their religious liberty against the Seleucid Empire. And starting in 170, uh, excuse me, 167 BC, Judas fought a battle and won and came home and he was honored as a conqueror because he was winning these exploits to free Jerusalem once again and to free the temple from the Greek influence. They had put their Greek gods in the temple. And that conquering hero and what happened in the temple during eight days when there was only one day's worth of oil and it lasted for eight days, they still celebrate, the Jewish people still celebrate that, commemorate that incredible moment in history and it's called Hanukkah. Now when Judas came home, you know what they greeted him with? Psalm 118, 26. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now friends, that's a messianic psalm. That wasn't for Judas Maccabean. That was for the Messiah. And this crowd on this day of the triumphal entry, they get this right. But I don't think they get it. They know Jewish history. They want another Judas Maccabeus. They want another conquering hero. So they're shouting, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And you know what? A conquering hero is exactly what they got. Just not the way they thought they were going to get it. John presents Jesus as our conquering hero hero because he was willing to do the hard work involved in saving us by living a sinless life, by going to the cross, by rising from the dead on Resurrection Sunday. First Fruit Sunday, which we get to celebrate next week. Oh man, I can't wait. It's my favorite day of the year. This is my favorite week of the year, Passion Week. And don't forget about our Good Friday service this coming Friday from noon to one o'clock. It'll be a special time. Come and be with us. Now it's interesting to note that John doesn't mention any of the events that happened in Jerusalem during the final week, such as the cleansing of the temple or the cursing of the fig tree, why? He had one focus. He focused on Jesus Christ, the conquering hero who was the greatest of all because he was willing to wash his disciples' feet. And it was all within the shadow of the cross. 
And Jesus finds this little donkey. That's not what it seemed. The other gospels show how Jesus arranged for that donkey, but the disciples didn't have a clue what was happening, that he was about to fulfill a 600-year-old prophecy. By riding that little foal of a donkey, Jesus is refuting the messianic expectations of the crowds for a warrior, for a deliverer, for a messiah, for a king, because he comes riding into Jerusalem as the prince of peace. Jesus uh, is so emphasized by John that this prophecy in Zechariah It says in verse 15 that we read, do not be afraid, people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you riding on a donkey. Jesus Christ is the king. He's the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of you and me. He's the king of all men and women. He's the king of the kingdom of God. But the process of acquiring his kingship doesn't come through war or conquering or wielding a sword. Yeah, a sword is involved in Jesus Christ becoming our king, but the sword used to become king is the sword of the centurion that was thrust into his side. The triumphal entry as the coronation of the king of Israel was not what it seemed. The coronation to which Jesus Christ is headed at the triumphal entry is the coronation of being lifted up on the cross and dying for the sins of the world, starting with his people. And then it's the coronation that we will celebrate next week when Jesus rose gloriously, victoriously from the tomb and he defeated sin, the devil, and death once and for all. And John honestly admits that neither he nor any of the disciples could understand or comprehend anything that was going on in the life of Jesus on that day of the triumphal entry. Verse 16 says, his disciples didn't understand at the time that this was a fulfillment of prophecy. But after Jesus entered into his glory, they remembered what happened and realized that these things had been written about him. Jesus refers to the cross as his hour. His time to be glorified. Without Christ going to the cross, there wouldn't be any people in heaven. There wouldn't be any people in heaven. It would only be angels. But Jesus, that, my friends, is why he, God, second person of the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the Son had to become completely, 100% a man. Why? Because it was men and women, you and me, for whom he came and died to redeem us from our sins and save us so that we could live in eternity with him in heaven forever. Hallelujah. It was only for people Jesus was crucified. When it says, after Jesus had been glorified, the glorification involved both his death on the cross and his resurrection when he left that empty tomb. The defeat of Christ as the world viewed it was not at all what it seemed. 
The death of Jesus Christ was not defeat, but it was victory over death because three days later on Easter Sunday morning, Jesus Christ rose victoriously from the dead and he demonstrated his complete defeat of death. So now, death is not what it seems to be for a Christian. I mean, it really looks like the end. But we know that because Jesus Christ rose from the dead, also the very same thing when I die or when you die, that very moment we snatch the victory of eternal life from the appearance of death and our life being over. Death has become only the beginning of a joyous eternal life of victory for those who have placed their trust in Jesus. Mm. John uses verse 18 and 19 to show the growing conflict between Jesus and the Pharisees due to the crowd's fickle reaction to Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. And in this way, more than any other gospel, John uses the triumphal entry in a way that it just isn't what it seems. It's advancing the tension and the drama that led to his death and his resurrection and the coronation as the king of God's kingdom. Here's my final point, point number three. His impact changed everything. Everything's changed. Everything's different. Listen, I don't know how you can sit here and just yawn and just, uh, you know, I, I mean, it was gorgeous. It was beautiful. I actually got a picture of it. The little girl standing right here today. Did you see her? She didn't get any sleep last night. She'd be singing. Oh, it was wonderful. Something always happens in the children's play. I loved it. It's fantastic. But you know what? If you can in any small way, not even in your mind today, but in your heart and your spirit, you're, you're an eternal being. You were created for eternity. You know this. What happens to people that have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ? Romans tells us everybody has a conscience and everybody has creation. So they're going to stand before God and say, I never heard about Jesus. And he says, I gave you a conscience. You knew as a little child, I revealed myself to you. You, I, I revealed through all of creation. They say that now there's, there are, are telescopes that can see 300 million light years away and there's still the universe out there. You think God doesn't love you enough to reveal himself to you? He loves you. He has revealed himself through creation. He has spoken to your conscience. You can't sit there and say, this is it. We live here on, for 70 or 80 years if we uh, are uh, able to do that. And then what? Then we go take a dirt nap and all that happened in our lives was for nothing? Come on, there's more to this life. There's more to what we see. It's beyond our comprehension, 
but it's the truth, ladies and gentlemen. We get to make a decision where we're going to spend the rest of eternity. And I promise you, I would never tell you this if it wasn't the truth, but it's either going to be in heaven or it's going to be in hell. Hell wasn't created for us, created for the devil and his angels. Isaiah says, there's a verse in chapter 45 of Isaiah that says hell had to be expanded. Satan had to do a a, a construction plan to make room for people who don't belong there. Don't go to hell, but you will. If you don't open your heart and ask Jesus Christ to come in and forgive you of your sins, please, ladies and gentlemen, please give your heart to Jesus. Father, I just want to pray right now. Oh, in the powerful name of Jesus, that everybody here, everybody here, at the sound of my voice, watching uh, over the internet, Lord, that everybody here will make things right with God. I pray in the powerful, holy, wonderful name of Jesus.